the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit RobBlack.com. RobBlack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. I have joining me today, CFP, Chad Merchant, Certified Financial Planner. It is a designation. It is a designation that is earned through education and continuing education. It is a designation that I appreciate and I find to be the most useful in the world of financial wealth. Um, just throwing it down there for you. You can find CFP Chad Burton on podcast and you can listen last probably a four or five hours that he and I have done together talking about financial planning for people in their 50s, moving into their 60s, 500,000 or more. We're going to be doing an event live Thursday evening, Palo Alto Elks Lodge. But uh, check out his website first and uh, sign up for the event at his website, chadburton.com. That's C-H-A-D-B-U-R-T-O-N.com. We've hit a lot of topics today, Chad. Let's do one more round of Ask the Financial Planner. Um, Alternative investments. Uh, What are alternative investments and do we need them? Uh, So alternative investments, you can't quite say they're 100% stocks or 100% bonds or you know 100% liquid real estate for example. Um and so I think that we go through periods of time and I remember this, you know, I don't know about 15 20 years ago too where you get these uh news articles that say oh the 60 40 portfolio is dead. You know, typically going into retirement you need your 3 years worth of portfolio draws and safe money and then the rest of your portfolio should be something like 60% equities, 40% bonds. But I mean here's the deal with with uh Dodd-Frank, Sarbanes-Oxley and all these different rules the world of of bonds has changed and also the Federal Reserve being involved right with with liquidity, you know, trying to create liquidity and lower rates for the not only the great recession but then covid. Um, even though the 10 year treasury is returned to slightly above three and a half percent, it was, um, above five prior to the great recession. And so people are needing to create more income. And there's also different things going on in, in the credit markets in terms of lending. So it's in a simplest form. It's, there's certain rules around a bank that, has invested in a company and also does a deal in lending money to companies that are about to be, you know, acquired by one another or bought by another company. Um, so a big area of alternative investments is private credit. The other name for that is direct lending. And uh, there's these come in all sorts of shapes and forms, Rob. I mean, there's some that are kind of hidden uh, venture capital funds where money is being lent to very aggressive startup companies. But there's others where you have this credit facility and and they're lending money to profitable companies, buying other profitable companies. And usually when that happens, there is typically a five to seven year note. There's a base rate of return plus uh, SOFR rates. And so these things are yielding some cases, you know, north of 8%. Um, 
and sometimes they're paid off early. Now, you, you want to look for the ones that are mostly senior secured notes. So if something happens to one of the companies, you're at the top of the food chain in terms of liquidation. Um, it, it, but they've been great because as interest rates went up, the income went up. And um, and you got to look at the end underneath the hood. Who is lending money? Who is being lent money to? And who are they buying? And is the portfolio diversified? So there's a ton of them out there. Um, we like the ones that are more conservative. They're a decent place. And, and where do you add them? I mean, that's the first question. First of all, it's for portfolios north of $2 million that we're talking about. So um, you you want to make sure you know the rules of net worth because there's liquidity issues with these things, Rob. They, even though the returns can be great and the income can be great, typically, once you go in, you're waiting at least five years to come out and there's different gates that can occur. So a lot of times when you go in, if you want to take money back out, the most you can get above your income is 5% a quarter. So it might take you some time to liquidate. So most uh, alternative investments, they charge differently and they have different liquidity issues because the, the money, the companies that you're investing with need to know that the money's going to be around. Whereas a mutual fund or an ETF, they're liquid. You just push a button and sell it, right? So you're trading off, um, you know, typically higher income for liquidity issues. Uh, same thing on the real estate side. There's tons and tons of pr- uh, publicly traded real estate investment trusts, and there's also some decent private ones, um, which you know still have valuations that are done, but they can create some higher income for people. But there's liquidity gates um, that. You know, they could say, you know what, over and above your income, we're not letting people sell shares right now because of what the, where the market is. So there's liquidity issues. Um, same thing with private equity. You know, that's another form. And and I don't I'm not talking about hedge funds. I think hedge funds in the 28, 29, almost 29 years that I've been doing this. I've never seen long term outperformance by hedge funds, especially the way they charge. But what has changed in the business is there's fewer and fewer companies going public now, Rob. Yeah. Um, so my favorite asset class, which is small cap, I, I kind of sit there and wonder, like, you know, <laughs> how are we going to get more small cap companies out there? Because they seem to either, you know, stay private or be purchased by a larger company before they ever go public. And that's where some private equity can come into play for higher net worth individuals. And uh, it is interesting ahead. how the IPO market dried up so much. Um, but I am interested. You, you brought up something. You said it's your favorite asset class. Oh yeah, especially small cap value. Is it because it's underperformed or that's that's one reason. If you look at the last 10 years, it's been the longest period of large cap outperformance over and above small cap. Right. Um so not only is it cheaper and it's it's turned to shine, but when you look at uh the Callan table of periodic table of investments and you look at a certain asset class that tends to always stay around the top, uh small cap value is is one that's really really good over time. So Do most people that I find they're they're overweight and large cap and and underweight and small cap and international right now. That sums me up. So you want to plug the seminar Thursday? Yeah, I mean this is if if you're really looking for the you know retirement 300 level course, everything that you need to know, and we're not talking about selling products or garbage annuities and stuff like that. This is really detailed information on how taxes work, where you should pull money, how much safe money you should have, what your portfolio should look like. 
That's good. You can find Chad Burton at chadburton.com. Sign up for the event at chadburton.com. Got a couple hours Thursday evening, 630 to 830 Palo Alto Elks Lodge. You will learn about financial planning and income issues in retirement. Sign up at chadburton.com. This interview featured on the Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more at robblack.com. I try to be as honest as I can on this show. Thanks for listening. One of the stocks I own, and it is not meant to be owned for the short term, is Airbnb. My goal is to look at it in 10 years and see what happened. It is not my primary retirement stock. It is not anything like that. I would almost call it a social experiment. And anytime it drops 20%, I'll add to my position. So... I'm cool with that. Again, it is not meant to be an income stock. It is not meant to be an outperformer. I want to see where it is in 10 years. Because this next story is going to tell you why. Hilton and Marriott are fighting now over extended stay lodging. It's pretty interesting. They're two of America's, they are America's two biggest hotel chains. And the lodging class, um, it's hotly debated. Post-pandemic work from anywhere in the world. That's what Hilton Marriott are trying to go after. The people who went with Airbnbs versus hotels and people that moved out of their homes and worked remotely in an Airbnb. So you kind of know what went on, right? Now, both chains, Marriott and Hilton, are in the midst of launching new as yet unnamed extended stay brands due out sometime next year. So it's... They would supply the homes with amenities found in Airbnbs and VRBOs. When I bought a mountain home five years ago, six years ago, one of the very first things I did was I was thinking about making it into a VRBO or an Airbnb. So I did the research. And what was really handy was there was a list of everything that you should have stocked in your home. So I was like, let's go to Bed Bath & Beyond or wherever I went and got everything that was on the list, printed it and, and went. So... Marriott and Hilton are going to make rooms or homes or flats. They're going to throw in refrigerators and cooking utensils and things like that so that you have an option other than Airbnb. And I'll be honest with you, corporately speaking, um, some of us are going to fall into and say, we want to stay at a Hilton or Marriott because it's professionally managed. Or sometimes we've been at an Airbnb where we feel it's less than professionally managed. Um, Clean your own sheets on the way out, take out the trash. Um, you get the idea, right? So I see this is a smart idea for Hilton and Marriott to do. In 2022, extended stay hotels scored occupancy rates of nearly 75%, well above the 63% rate of hotel rooms. Both chains will offer cheaper nightly rates for extended stays with Marriott targeting $80 a night. Hilton's targeting around $100 a night compared to $149 average daily rate for the U.S. hotel rooms last year. This makes all the sense in the world to me. Does it put Airbnb out of business? Nope. But I think it's pretty darn interesting. Still, the negative for Hilton and Marriott will be that they will own the properties. They will own the mortgages. With Airbnb, they get a big cut of the action and they don't have to own anything. Okay. Uh, And I think this is fair to say. I think we've all been disappointed in an Airbnb or VRBO, right? 
I have a friend that went on vacation down to Monterey and he got a Airbnb for him and his family on the beach. Oh, in a bedroom in the house the owner owned and was living in. So he thought he was going down for a sexy beach time vacation. Nope. Anyhow, Uber talking about weird bedfellows, Marriott and Hilton. Uber's getting into a relationship with Alphabet and they both do self-driving car dreams, but Uber's kind of giving up in a way. Uber's entering into a new relationship with an old adversary, Uber and Waymo. Waymo is the autonomous driving division of Google's parent Alphabet. They've struck up a partnership. Waymo's self-driving taxis will now be available through Uber's regular ride-hailing app over a 180-square-mile area covering Phoenix, Arizona. Uber and Waymo have not always enjoyed a friend relationship. In 2017, the new company has legally locked horns um, when a former Google engineer who's uh, created a self-driving startup, Auto, had been bought by Uber, stole some trade secrets. Maybe, maybe not. The two companies reached a settle in 2018. The engineer who left Google was sentenced to 18 months in prison. He received a presidential pardon in 2021. All very interesting stuff. But let's talk more about Uber. In December, Uber started offering autonomous taxi rides for the first time via partnership with Motional. Those rides promised to feature a human safety driver who could intervene if the car did something unexpected, whereas a Waymo um, spoke first said that if Uber rides will be totally autonomous with no one behind the wheel. I've done one of these rides um, kind of for poops and giggles, and it was unsettling, but it got me to where I needed to go. And it, it, there's some areas where it really needs to get better, like if it's dropping you off in front of a Trader Joe's, and there's a lot of traffic walking in in front. Um, it still is trying to drop you off the door, and yet people will, you know, walk around like crazies with their shopping carts, and the car is trying to figure that out. So it starts, it stops, it starts, it stops, it starts, it stops. Um, anyhow, interesting times, right? Google is also in the news for their search engine. It still has a big advantage over Bing, but Microsoft has another point of consumer entry, Windows. Bill Gates isn't going to clamor through your window to make it chat GBT. The Windows 11 operating system is getting the new AI assistant called Copilot. So chat GBT being thrown into Microsoft's operating system, which again, you got to imagine you know, Chrome is going to do the same thing uh, on all the Chromebooks. So... It's interesting talking about business relationships. No, there was a great book that I wrote, read, read. I'm not taking credit for a book that I didn't write um, called The Death of Competition. By a man's last name is Moore, M-O-O-R-E. It was probably the best business book that I've ever read because it really got me. I was good with technology stocks. And then I started understanding what Moore wasn't doing in The Death of Competition. He was talking about ecosystems. And how the Wintel ecosystem was dominant in technology until um, the internet came along. And what he was implying was that, you know, everything in technology was based off Windows software or Intel semiconductors. And you can look at the software companies underneath them. You can look at the hardware companies underneath them and you could kind of see where it was going. Uh, you could really diagram it out. Now I'm more about. 
instead of that monopoly between the two or duopoly, I'm more interested in uh, total addressable markets of social media companies. So, but that's as an analyst, I've, I've evolved, but I like death competition was great because it, it started comparing companies like Kmart and Walmart. And at one point in history, Kmart went after the big cities like New York city and Chicago, Washington, DC, Baltimore, whereas Walmart said, you know what, we're going to dominate the rural areas, um, suburbs. And they did it really, really well in the suburbs and they would do a, a spoken wheel so the wheel would be eight stores and in the middle would be a big warehouse. Um, and Walmart won because they didn't have purchasing managers in big cities. They had purchasing managers just supplying into eight different local stores. Big event coming up Thursday evening in Palo Alto at the Elks Lodge. Income in retirement and much, much more. Sign up at robblackshow.com. It's 630 to Thursday. What's the best way to choose a financial advisor? Download our guide at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. Taking a look at stock markets for the first time this morning. I always try to like them, give them an hour to warm up and see what's happening. You see the S&P 500 is down three quarters of 1%. The Dow is down six tenths of a percent and the NASDAQ is down almost 1%. So growth is underperforming. Values hanging in a little bit better. And the Russell 2000 is getting kind of clobbered down 1.2%. Every day that we go without a debt ceiling deal, this is going to happen at this point in time. If my personal history kind of repeats itself, let's bring on Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. See if he agrees that uh, there's just going to be a sell-off until this deal gets done because Wall Street really wants Capitol Hill to, to figure this out. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Hey, good morning, Rob. I'm, I'm doing okay. And I have to say that uh, you know your personal history on this particular item matches my personal history on it. So uh, I think you're you're correct in that um, you'll see a kind of a, uh, a de-risking move, if you will. Doesn't mean you're going to get necessarily panicky selling, but but just some, you know, de-risking here in front of uh, obviously a, a very important development, uh, the likes of which seems to be headed toward a, an 11th hour solution. It's in my opinion, kind of pathetic that I can say and you can say the same thing because we don't have crystal balls. We just we've seen this before. Congress kind of takes it to the last second so they can get some dramatic headlines, take a soundbite to their constituents and say the we won, the other side lost. But it does need to get done. Do you feel that it does need to get done? Do we also agree on this, that we don't really want to refinance our debt as a country? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I think without question, it, it has to get done. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, why the market is starting to feel a little bit more skittish here is I think we're all cognizant that, uh, you know, the political polarization has, has gotten pretty extreme and that there's, you know, a small group on, on both sides of the spectrum that uh, can kind of hold this process hostage and and there's a you know concern that you know while this time should not be different you know we should get the debt ceiling increased um there's you know there's a a view of it that while it's a low uh you know it's a low probability that we would default meaning it's not a zero percent probability and that's 
that alone is just like hard to believe. But um, but I think that there's you know an undercurrent of worry that um, you know that the partisan extremes are so extreme that we might you know, kind of like run ourselves into a real problem unnecessarily. And even though we could ultimately get a kind of a headline deal, if you will, um, you really aren't going to be able to breathe easy until it runs through both caucuses and actually gets the yes vote uh, in, you know, in both houses of Congress. So that's why there's a sense now that this is kind of headed down really to the wire and hopefully not beyond that. And if I can add a little political commentary without picking sides, it seems that the very few vocal who don't want to get it done or who don't want to compromise, they're just not as educated as Congress in the past year. So that does make me a little bit nervous. Um, but let's move forward. Um, you haven't been on for a couple of weeks. My fault. I had some family issues and some travel. Um, where are we after earnings season? How do you feel? Well, you know, I think uh, I, I feel in large part the same. I mean, you and I have talked throughout the year. I've expressed that, you know, I've got my doubts about, uh, you know, earnings estimates living up to expectations. Uh, we do think that the lag effect of the Fed's rate hikes will start to avail themselves uh, more fully, uh, probably in the back half of the year. Um, but, you know, I have to admit, you know, certainly wrong in terms of, you know, expecting the uh, kind of the recession to come to fruition sooner rather than later. That's not at all the case. I mean, you have the Atlanta Fed GDP now model looking at last time I looked 2.9 percent real GDP growth in the second quarter, which is clearly a long way away from, you know, that recession type territory. But um, we're starting to see, I think, more anecdotal evidence come in um, in terms of some of the corporate commentary. It's it's turned, you know, more mixed. Granted, there are some companies that are still talking about solid demand. There's others that are starting to say they're seeing weakening demand. Um, we're seeing the manufacturing sector in contraction, whereas the services sector is still showing uh, growth. Um, so it's a hard, you know, it's kind of hard to get a, a, a line on things here, but uh, history would suggest that given the aggressive nature of the Fed's rate hikes, um, that, uh, you know, there's still a, a price to pay here, economically speaking. And uh, we think that that could set up, you know, maybe for a more challenging second half of the year than what we've seen here in the front part of the year. Um, and uh, on the one other point, I mean, coming through the earnings season, we are just about done here. Certainly better than expected, um, but not actually good if you look at it in an absolute fashion, right? You still have earnings that are down year over year, about 2% relative to the expectation they'd be down about 7% coming into the reporting period. Um, and, you know, the, the beat rates are coming against what were lowered earnings expectations to begin with. Um, the second quarter uh, earnings are also expected to be down year over year. Uh, and overall earnings for 2023 expected to be, you know, up about one to two percent. So nothing uh, significant, but we do think that that one to two percent growth is probably optimistic. Um, and that would be the risk here in the second half of the year, is if, you know, if the economic slowdown starts to become more pronounced, then we're going to have to see more downward revisions to earnings estimates that then will, you know, keep this market in check. <laughs> 
One of the things I follow at briefing.com is some of the earnings reports and how you cover them. I, I kind of like it. Sometimes I'll not have time to jump on a target conference call, but some one of your analysts does, and he he jots down notes for the in-play and story stocks and scenarios that play out across the website. I really appreciate it. Um, let's talk a little bit about Walmart and Target, Home Depot and Lowe's. Um, this week, we're getting Kohl's and some other retailers as well. I, from my read on what Briefing has published, it, it feels very soft, but not recessionary. Um, and it's it, something like the, the tar, uh, tar, Target was saying that, you know, theft is on the rise. And I, I think when you start blending these messages, retail doesn't look great, but it doesn't look awful either. Yeah, I, I think that that's a fair characterization of things. And, and it makes sense when you, you know, stop and consider that the unemployment rate is 3.4%. Um, you know, that's a close to a, what, 50 four-year low, I think. Um, and so you have a lot of people that are obviously still gainfully employed, still collecting a paycheck. You know, it's not like they're you know just going to stop spending altogether. I think what we're hearing out of the likes of Walmart and Target, though, is that you are seeing, you know, their customers become a little bit more um, focused on where they're spending in terms of uh, uh, applying more of their paycheck toward consumer staples as opposed to uh, discretionary items, and uh, you know, and then Home Depot, you know, uh, for its part, as well as Lowe's, you know, kind of talking about a slowdown in discretionary sales, uh, you know, on goods, um, and that fits with what we have heard here from a lot of companies, right? Is that uh, the services side of things still looks to be pretty, pretty sound. Uh, certainly, hearing a lot of great commentary out of the out of the travel companies, airlines in particular. Right. Um, and hotels as well. Um, people are still spending on travel and experiences and and that remains pretty robust. And, you know, and I think that that's really what, you know, the, the linchpin to this probably this economic, you know, not probably, but to the economic outlook is going to be the labor market. And, uh, you know, and how quickly we see it pivot to some type of, uh, you know, loosening stage, because right now it's still pretty tight. Uh, you can still that, see that in terms of the relatively low level of initial jobless claims. Um, obviously, we're seeing that in a very low unemployment rate, and you still see it in the Jolts job openings report, which, granted, is you know down quite a bit from its you know from its peak, but still uh, shows you know more than one job opening per per unemployed worker right now, uh, technically. So. Um, so there's still, um, you know, not enough slack there in the labor market, I think, to make the Fed rest easy. Uh, uh, and uh, but because of the, the tightness of the labor market, um, you could, you know, see spending hold up OK um, and not move, you know, things into an area where, you know, where you'd see, you know, recession, you know, right around the corner. But, you know, having said that, we think that that time is coming, um, but it might be deferred uh, a little bit longer than we anticipated, you know, as we move into the back half of the year. One of the data points that came out of Walmart's call was that they're selling more groceries. And I found this interesting because um, I'm not going to my high end grocery store anymore. I, I'm going for like Safeway steaks or steaks that are priced a little less than premium. Um, and I think a lot of Americans are, are doing that now. And so some of the data is weird because Walmart's benefiting as people shop down 
to still get premium items. Uh, I found that interesting that Walmart said we're selling more st- uh, uh, filet than ever before. Anyway, Mr. O'Hare, we've got about 30 seconds left, so let me let you go so I don't have to cut you off. I appreciate you being on, and uh, I've really missed you, and your content was fantastic today. When you said the labor market was the linchpin, I, I, you, that's well said, and I'm going to steal it. It's Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com talking debt ceiling drama, starting to test the market's patience. He's spot on. You should listen to that segment again on the podcast uh, or check out briefing.com, a reliable source of domestic international news. I'm Rob Black. Visit the Rob Black Show online at robblackshow.com. Listen to archive podcasts, market updates, and information from EP Wealth's certified financial planners online at robblackshow.com. Try to fit in as much as I can here. I do think that Amazon has some upside in the world of AI headlines. It's one of the big tech stocks that really hasn't moved um, as much on the benefit of using the word AI in press releases. Microsoft and NVIDIA are the ones that have moved the most. Google fell apart and then Google started to rally when they started talking about AI a little bit more. Now, one of the things I, I really want to hit on Google is I'm doing a lot of research on YouTube right now. Just kind of matter factly, if I could be honest with you, um, I like what I'm seeing. Let me share some of what I'm seeing with you. Um, this may surprise you. It may not. But let me remind you what YouTube is. At one point in time, it was on our phones and then on our desktop and then it got on our phones. And now we're putting it on our televisions in our living room. And all of those are very different. And all of those are different ways for YouTube to ser- serve up ads on my TV. I pay for YouTube TV services and I get music and YouTube uh, commercial free. Um, I'm not a big fan of commercials. When you have kids, I it's the commercials that drive you crazy. Um, but 2.6 billion users worldwide use YouTube. I, I could make a case if Google were to spin YouTube off, I'd buy YouTube and drop Google. Let me repeat that 2.6 billion users worldwide. As far as social media platforms, it's got the highest penetration. 62% of global consumers use YouTube. Um, YouTube is the second most popular search engine after Google. Now, again, a lot of people are attacking Google right now because ChatGPT, in theory, should be able to replace Google searches, which they do a billion plus a day. YouTube is localized in more than 100 countries. It's available in 80 different languages. So the YouTube experience you get might be totally different than you might get in, say, Ethiopia. People enjoy watching videos on YouTube every day. Every day, people watch 1 billion hours of video on YouTube. 1 billion hours of video. 62% of businesses use YouTube as a channel to post video content. I posted video content from a call that I did on Monday with E.P. Wells. Adam Phillips, who's the director of portfolio strategy. It's on my YouTube channel, Rob Black Show, Rob Black Show. And um, I guess that's all I really have to hit about that. I will say if anything breaks in my home, I go to YouTube and, and learn how to do it and fix it. I'm uh, putting some sand that is cement basically and some uh, gravel in the grout on my stones in the front of the house. See, I can't even say it, but I can watch it done on YouTube, and it's pretty darn easy. 
Um, so I feel very, very comfortable doing home projects when I watch YouTube. 500 hours of video uploaded to YouTube every minute. I'm not telling you to go out and buy Google. I'm telling you, I own Google and I'm very, very comfortable. Um, if I were to want to do a segment on boring stocks, um, I think Estee Lauder, Louis Vuitton, uh, Louis Vuitton, Moe Hennessy, Hermes, Ferrari, they've got tremendous pricing uh, power. Boring stocks like MasterCard and Visa, they don't have debt. They just process transactions. I like both of those companies. It's interesting because there's like sometimes you'll get into dumb cliches on a show like this and you'll say, some guys like blondes, I like brunettes. Um, some people like Visa, some people, I, I like them both. Uh, I'm okay with boring. I also have some sexy. Clearly, my Google speech today is on the sexier side. Um, one of the things we're going to do at our event on Thursday night in Palo Alto at the Elks Lodge, I'm probably down to my last two years of doing events. Um, as I start transitioning from, um, I'm not going to say caring, but as I start transitioning to a slower uh, way of communicating and less time away from my family and more time with my family. Uh, one of the things I'm going to be talking about are state taxes and the wealthiest taxpayers have so many tools at their disposal to pay less to Uncle Sam, whether it's donating to charity via trusts um, that are totally legal. Uh, but you have to get a lawyer involved. Now, it's interesting. Some of the biggest challenges as financial planners face is they charge 1% of assets under management, and then that fee goes down to like one half of 1% after you get a couple million in. You get access to the better financial planners if you have over 2 million. But one of the challenges they have is, is convincing people that what's cost less than a mutual fund has a lot of value and you need it. Um, I hope I'm able to communicate that to you in the next few years. The goal of the show is to get you to create wealth. Chad's goal of his show is to, to help you manage your wealth. I want to create it. He wants to manage it. Uh, Netflix. Password sharing crackdown officially is hitting U.S. users. Uh, as a young man, I was probably a little bit more liberal about theft of content. Um, I had an author not scream at me once, but I got him to sign a book and it was well-worn. It, it had been to the beach numerous times. It had been lent out to friends numerous times. I guess I love a well-worn book. I said, yeah, I've, I've lent it out to a couple of friends of mine and they, they love it as well. And he looked at me and he's like, oh, so they didn't buy the book. <laughs> he, he's right. So now if I want someone to read a book, I buy it for them. So if you were my friend, I'd buy you the Depth Third Trilogy. By Robertson Davies, still my favorite. You know, I got some really positive feedback last week or this week when I started talking about some of the analysts that I follow. Um, and I set up Google alerts so I can see when they're in the news and Bloomberg alerts when I can see that they're in the news. Um, another one is a man who works at Seabank, Stephen Zacone. He does hardline retail. And it's an area that I just can't do. Um, Home Depot, Lowe's, Tractor Supply, AutoZone, O'Reilly Auto Parts. Last couple of years have been a challenging time to pick stocks, um, but he's very edgeful. He's, uh, he sees the volatility in the sector, and he has a fun time explaining it to people like me. 
Um, he relies on complex models. He's got a team of industry experts. He visits stores. He tracks promotions. Finding a good analyst and following them is very important. Come to the event Thursday evening in Palo Alto. Sign up at Rob Black's show. If you don't sign up, you can't come in. It's robblackshow.com. Retirement planning is more complicated than ever, and it can be hard to even know where to begin. So set aside Thursday evening, May 25th, and get ready to learn some strategies from Chad Burton and Rob Black that can help you retire better and pass on your estate while minimizing taxes. That's May 25th at the Elks Lodge in Palo Alto. This event will focus on retirement income and tax planning. If you're nearing or are in retirement and have at least 500000 in investable assets, this seminar is for you. Chad will explain how to transition your portfolio from the accumulation phase to the income phase, which accounts to draw from first, how to protect your estate from long-term care costs, and much more. Learn how to invest during high inflation and interest rate moves, social security strategies, and managing IRAs and 401ks in retirement. Rob Black will share market happenings and trends. That's Thursday, May 25th, 6.30 p.m. at the Elks Lodge in Palo Alto. Sign up for the event at chadburton.com. For KDOW listeners, we'll waive the sign-up fee. chadburton.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.